Good morning. I'm so glad to get to be with you all, and I'm so excited about our study of Joseph. And as we begin this morning, can we pray together, please? (laughs) Our great God and Father, we gather as your daughters this morning, and it is our prayer that by your Spirit that you would teach us, encourage us, reveal yourself to us. We're looking to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, you know, it's so funny. Back in our day, when we were traveling somewhere, we had maps, right? But now, I pull out my phone, and I pull up Google Maps, and it has GPS. And there's this little voice that's telling me when to turn and where to go, and even reroutes me sometimes, right? I can, if I'm traveling on the highway, I can see orange and red marked on the highway when we're, you know, we know that we're coming up to a traffic jam, right? And we also have the time of our arrival, our ETA, right there. So we can always know exactly when we're going to arrive at our destination. And I find that with all these technological gadgets that we have these days, we begin to be a bit deceived. And we think that we're in charge and that we're in control. And I'm sorry to tell you, it's a big fat lie. So just as a reminder, since I've got my phone out, if you have your phone with you today, would you please be sure to turn it off or turn the ringer off? Um, That's so helpful. But so I've been thinking about that and thinking that we need to be women who are like our father Abraham. Women of faith who are trusting in the Lord even when we don't know everything. Even when we don't know when we're going to arrive or when we're going to be having to face some traffic. Right? Now Rhonda did such a beautiful introduction last week overlooking Joseph. And I love the three truths that she presented. And we want to be clinging to these truths throughout this study and our whole life long. God is with us. God is working. Oh, he's working. Much of the time, it's in ways we cannot see. And he is always trustworthy. We can trust him. We can lean into him, as she said. So we're going to begin this morning by kind of giving, getting the big, even scaling back even more, getting kind of the big picture of the whole book of Genesis. I wanted to give you this outline. As Rhonda told us last week, when we open our Bibles and we're studying the book of Genesis, it's a theological narrative. It's a story revealing who our God is. It's all about him. It's not just about about Joseph. It's pointing us to him and to help us to get to know him more. As you look at this outline, we have the first section, the primeval history, where we have creation, where God created humans in his image, and they were commanded to be fruitful and multiply and go and fill the earth with his glory. But oh my goodness, things did not go that way, did they? Right? We had the fall, Adam and Eve sinned, and then quickly there was this great downward spiral of sin. And if you read that section, 
Uh, you will look, we are told, I think, so much today, oh, the world is getting worse and worse. Well, I would say that's not true. It's always been, God created it good, but because humanity turned away from him, it's always been pretty bad. It got bad really, really quickly in those early chapters of Genesis. And then God was so grieved, his heart was broken over the way God had, over the way that humanity had turned away from him, and he had to make a fresh start. He washed the world with a flood. He sent great judgment, and it reminds us that that's the judgment that we all deserve. And then he brought about through Noah, um, refilling the earth, repeopling it. Um, and then we have the Tower of Babel, where men gathered and try to make great names for themselves and build that tower, and God had to scatter them. And so in that first section, I want you to see that there's a problem presented. It's humanity's sin and alienation from God. And we see God's character revealed that he is sovereign. He is creator. And he created man with a purpose. And this question arises from those first 11 chapters in Genesis. Can sinful man be reconciled to a holy God? And we find in the next section, chapters 12 to 50, God's solution. And it's, it's as if the first 11 chapters, chapters are the macrocosm picture, and then from 12 to 50, it's a microcosm. It's focusing in on one man and one family line, Abraham. And so Abraham is called, and God gives him his covenant promises. And we see that that covenant, that's by grace, <laughs> it's passed along then from Abraham to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and then to the star of our study, Joseph. And so we see God's solution is that he offers reconciliation to all humanity through this covenant of grace with Abraham. And so we see in this section that God is gracious again and again and again, and he is faithful even when his covenant people are not faithful to him. We see three themes in the whole book of Genesis. We're going to see this pattern of sibling rivalry, where much of the time the older will serve the younger. And we're seeing that God is the one who chooses the channel of his covenant blessing. Then we're going to see this theme of covenant. That God makes a covenant, he guarantees it, and he is faithful to fulfill those promises. And he is offering salvation to the world through this covenant. And then we are going to learn, you also see in Genesis about patriarchal religion, which we must notice, I think, as we look at Abraham today, because religion back in the ancient world wasn't as we know it today. Back then, all of the cultures of the world were polytheistic. They worshipped many gods with a small g. And oftentimes, these gods were worshipped at particular locations, at a shrine or maybe at a statue. And these gods, unlike our god, did not communicate with people. There was no, the people always wondered how they were to please those gods. Because after all, they were just statues, right? And they were often um, parts of creation that the people would worship. And we're going to see that our God 
is sovereign over all creation. And our God can be worshipped in many different places, and he is to be worshipped actually on every part of the whole earth. Also, it was very different than what we have today. We live in, in an individualistic society. Theirs was more group-oriented, and theirs was a patriarchal society. So if I was a daughter, then I would worship the God of my father, and that's just the way it was. The fathers, the patriarchs, were in charge, and they were almost as if they were the priest of the family. Okay, so take note of those few things. So then let's jump into section two here. God's solution, blessing through Abraham and Sarah and their family line. I have to mention as we begin this section that this last summer I had the privilege of being part of a family reunion and how sweet it was to gather with my mom, all of my part of the family and my mom's, and then both of her sisters and all of their their spouses, their children, their grandchildren. I got to meet some of my cousin's children that I'd never met before. And what a beautiful time it is to remember as you look back over years and years and years and reflect on family gatherings from past, you see God's hand on your family and you see his faithfulness. And we're going to see this faithfulness extended to Abraham and his family. God is often called in Genesis the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it is an amazing, it gives us this picture that our sovereign God is also a God who is near, and he knows each one of us by name. And he knows our spouses and our children by name. So he is not only the sovereign God, but a very personal God. And he knows our families. And I love that in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, it's kind of this huge turning point in the book of Genesis where the solution to humanity's problems is presented. And so if you open your Bibles to Genesis 12, beginning, we're going to just read verses 1 to 3. And goodness gracious, look at me. I think I need my Bible. Give you a minute to get there. We're going to be looking at a lot of passages in Genesis, so I'm hoping that you'll just page through with me. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So I love that we have a God who intervenes, who comes and reveals himself to Abram. And he presents his plan for redeeming humanity. And so we look at verse 1 and we think, well, what's Abram's job? What, is, what does God command him to do? He's to go. He's to leave his country, his family, his father's house. And he's to go to the land that God shows him. So mind you, consider the culture and what this was like for him. These were all the things that would have shaped his identity and given him security. 
He was to leave his family, his father, his country, his house behind and follow the Lord. And we find it in Hebrews 11.8 that Abraham obeyed immediately and without question. And then in verses 2 and 3, God gives his covenant promises of progeny, land, and blessing. We have to notice that there are five I wills in these two verses. All these things are God's job. He's going to show Abram the land. He's going to make him into a great nation. He's going to bless him and make his name great. He's going to bless those who bless him and curse those who, don't, who dishonor him. And then there are two you shalls. Okay? You shall be a blessing. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Do we notice something here? God's doing all the work. He's committing to that. He's got it all covered. He's going to carry Abram every step of the way in all these blessings. He's pr- promising protection and provision. And he's promising to work out his purposes through Abraham. He's going to turn them into a, Abraham and Sarah into a great nation and give them a home, homeland. And isn't it interesting that at the Tower of Babel, in chapter 11, verse 4, that men had tried to make themselves great. But here God says to Abraham, I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Do we see how different that is? He wants to bless him, just not for his own good, because he wants to work out his plans and purposes through him. And God is committing to make it all happen. Now I want you to see, oh my, there are lots of examples here. I've given you tons of scriptures and we're just going to kind of peruse through quickly. But I want you to see this clear picture that both Abraham and Sarah will alternate between times of faith and obedience and fear and failure. But in the midst of it all, God's Hesed love, his unfailing love, never dies. He sticks by them. Even though they fail him repeatedly, he does not fail him. So we find in Genesis chapters 15, 17, and 18, woohoo! Abram and Sarah are doing well, and they're holding to that promise of a son, especially that promise. They're holding on to the Lord with faith. They're leaning into him. They're trusting him. But in Genesis chapters 12 and 16 and 20, they are failing to trust the Lord and failing to trust in his promises. And do you know what happens then? They devise their own plans. I want you to see this clear connection that when we do not look to the Lord, when we lose our faith, when we turn away from him, it's then that we step out in disobedience and try to make it on our own. We try to make things go well. And they don't. They just don't. In Genesis 12, you read this in your lesson this week. Abraham is in, is in Egypt. And my goodness, 
He gives his precious wife to the Pharaoh because he claims that she's his sister. And so it seems here he's forgotten this promise. My goodness, they're supposed to be having this precious child of promise. And he gives his wife away. Rather than trusting in the Lord, he seeks to find security in Pharaoh. He's a homeless guy, right? He needs, he needs provision. But he turned to Pharaoh instead of to the Lord. And he does the same thing again in chapter 20 with King Abimelech. But what I love about this, and I want you to see it, because he does this for us, he's the same God as he, as he was with Abraham, he is with us, that in the midst of Abraham's forgetfulness and his lack of faith and his failure, the Lord keeps showing up and reassuring him of the covenant. The Lord is ever faithful and loves Abram with unfailing love. He doesn't give up on him. Now, if it were me, I'd say, well, maybe I need to go pick somebody else. But God never does that. Maybe because he knows that all people are people right? There wouldn't be anybody that would do a better job, right? In Genesis 15, if you can turn over here, verses 1 to 6, we find an example of God reassuring Abraham. Genesis 15, beginning with verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. It's a, it's a servant. And Abram said, Behold, you've, you've given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to them. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Don't you love that? God showed up to reassure him and remind him even when he was questioning and trying to figure out another plan. And then we find down in verse 17, this whole scenario where God guarantees the covenant. Now back in this time period, um, a covenant would usually be accompanied by a sacrifice. And after the covenant is sealed by that sacrifice, each of the parties would walk through the dead carcass of the sacrifice animal. The parts would be placed on either side, and both of them. It, we have it much better these days where we can just sign our name, right? But um, so, yeah, so they would walk through the sacrificed animals, and that would show their commitment to the covenant. And it would be like they were saying, let this right? Being killed, being sacrificed. Let this be done to me if I do not fulfill my part of the covenant or giving a vow. And so isn't this interesting? We find this scene in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. 
On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land. And then he outlines the parameters of the land. So isn't this interesting to note? That fire and smoking pot represent God's presence. He's the only one that walks through the sacrifice. He is guaranteeing the covenant. He's offering it by grace. And so, we, I, we must see that this guarantee points us to Christ. He would be the one that would take on the curses of the covenant. He took on the curse of our sin and was sacrificed on our behalf. And then we find Sarah. Oh, sweet Sarah. She loses faith as well. They're getting impatient, doggone it. They've been having to wait a long, long time. And they are really, really old, right? But she says that maybe she could work things out on her own and gives her servant Hagar to Abraham. He agrees to it. But um, we just see this picture that she's not willing to wait for God to fulfill his promises. She's saying, come on, God, chip-chop, like I tell my kids. You know, you're not taking care of things as you said you would. So I'm going to make it happen. And oh, what heartache she has to endure. And the whole family has to endure because of this situation. Now at this point, when you see this alternating between faith and failure, do you find yourself in Abraham and Sarah? I think, well, they're pretty much a mess. And I think, well, I feel at home with them. I feel at home with them. Too easily we look away from God and try to work things out, fix things on our own. And yet God is so patient with us and merciful. We fail, but God's love never fails. He should say to us, I'm giving up on you. I've had it with you. But he never does and he never will. And then in Genesis 17, we see Abraham's response to this guarantee that God had given him through that kind of scene with the smoking pot where Abraham Obeys when God gives him the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. But it is interesting that in the midst of that, he's still questioning God and even laughing, saying, I'm so old, you know? And yet, God continues to be faithful. I want to give you a few scriptures here up on the screen that are beyond Genesis. So um, I want you to see how God is a God who will latch on to just even tiny little glimpses of faith that he inspires in us. And we see here in Hebrews 11, that great chapter of the heroes of our faith, um, where Abraham and Sarah are commended. Hebrews 11, 8 through 12 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out, not knowing where he was going, 
By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, <laughs> were born descendants as many as the stars of the heavens and as many as the innumerable grains of the seashore. So God remains faithful to Abraham and Sarah. He sticks by them. He continues to, fi- to fulfill his end of the deal. And what we see is Although it takes a long time, they have to wait 25 years for Isaac's birth. But Abraham and Sarah's faith does grow. From Romans 4, 18 to 21. And I'm sorry, I don't think this is in your notes, so write it down if you'd like. Romans 4, 18 to 21. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He grew strong in his faith. As Abraham's daughters, this is our desire that our faith would grow. This last weekend, I had the privilege of being at Shining Stars, which is a a camp that's part of Royal Family Kids, camp for junior high-age foster children. And the speaker was this delightful female pastor from the city of Chicago. And she proclaimed God's truth to these precious kids. The theme of the weekend was You can be an overcomer. And she shared story after story of people who had faith in the midst of great, great difficulty. And even when everything was against them, she shared of a girl who grew up in Africa in a rural village where young children, girls, were not allowed to go to school. And she was really, really smart. And the teacher in the area identified this or figured this out because she was doing her brother's homework. And he said, well, that boy couldn't be doing this work. He made the connection. And what I loved from this story is that this girl had a dream that she wanted to be educated. And she wrote it down, all the things that she wanted, not just to get a basic education, but she really wanted to go on and go to college and even get degrees beyond that. She wrote her list down and she buried it in a tin by a tree in her neighborhood. And lo and behold, with God leading her every step of the way and with her holding on to him in faith, she was able to fulfill all these things. And she would go back, pull up that tin, and check off each one over time. Beautiful, beautiful story. May we be women like that. We do see the highlight of Abraham's faith in the section that you read regarding Isaac. And we have Abraham proclaiming, the Lord will provide. 
He believes that God can raise the dead. And God's promises being offered to him again and again, God's presence with him, inspire his faith and obedience. And we see this picture of Isaac, the beloved son who is a servant to be sacrificed. He carries the wood on his back, just like later Jesus would carry his cross. He surrenders in faith. He's willing to be bound on that altar. And yet, he is spared. God provides a ram. And once again, this points ahead to the ultimate provision, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Isaac is spared, but Jesus is not. He offers himself to bring salvation to the world. A few truths here that I just want to mention. We must remember that our plans are never better than God's. Our plans will fail. We fail, but God's love never fails. When we are faithless, it leads to our disobedience. And then God is not honored, and we bring trouble to those around us. I cannot tell you how greatly this truth has convicted me this last week, because I realize that there's someone in my life that I brought trouble to because I haven't been trusting the Lord in a certain area, and that my stress has seeped out onto the one I love, my hubby. So I need to be having some conversations with him, true confessions. Um, But we see this beautiful picture as well, that God graciously blesses us, though we don't deserve it. And his grace will inspire our obedience. Those are some, there are some questions there. Is there a situation in your life in which you're failing to wait with hope and devising your own plans? Do you need to apologize to someone just like me upon whom you brought trouble? Do we laugh at God's promises? How can we increase our faith? I would say by opening his word and listening to his promises, looking to who he is and who he's always been. And how can you make it a habit to call on the Lord like Abraham did, giving him the name, you are the Lord that provides. Let that be our anthem. I just want to close with a couple of thoughts here, just seeing this picture that God's grace and faithfulness continue through this family line. I loved in our guide where... The author calls Isaac the son of promise, the son of miracles, the son of sacrifice. We saw this, see this beautiful story where God continues to provide for Abram's family line. He, he goes before Abraham's servant who's seeking out a wife for Isaac. What a beautiful story in Genesis 24. And then as God had showed up and revealed himself and and covenanted with Abram, he continues to give those promises to Isaac. We see this in Genesis 26. He gives those same promises to him. And once again, we see Isaac failed just like his father had and did the same thing, claiming that his wife was his sister. And, um, And the Lord is gracious and continues this covenant, even though his people fail him. Last but not least, I want to close with this truth, that we are recipients of blessing through faith in Jesus Christ. Just as like that old song that we would sing in Sunday school, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons has Father Abraham. We are Abraham's daughters through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me close with these few scriptures from Galatians. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, the Gentiles, that's you and me, 
Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. Do you see that? This is the gospel offered in the Old Testament here to Abraham. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Galatians 3.16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. He is the promised one, the promised Savior. And Galatians 3, 27 and 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And then this beautiful picture from Revelation, where John has a vision of the new heaven and the new earth and sees the redeemed people of God. And he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so my challenge to you as we close today, are you following God's call on your life? Are you clinging to him, trusting in his grace and faithfulness? Because he's accomplished it all, ladies. Your salvation has been accomplished for you. But he wants to just not bless you, but he wants to bless the world through you. And so our call is different from Abraham's. We have the Great Commission He wants to build his kingdom through who? Through you and through me. Oh my goodness. So I close with these questions. You've been blessed. How are you a blessing? Are you allowing God to grow his kingdom through you? And that's it for today. Have a great day, ladies. Thank you.